Welcome to this podcast from the Allergy, Immunology, and Inflammation Assembly of the American Thoracic Society. In the second part of this series, our discussants, Drs. Megan Ballinger and Rachel Zemans, share their experiences with hiring laboratory personnel, setting expectations, and managing their time as principal investigators. Megan, any general advice on what to look for in a new hire? Well, I think the first thing that you really have to kind of do is when you're interested in hiring someone is you have to post a position. And I'm sure every institution and department and division has a very specific mechanism by which this happens. Mine takes forever. So when I'm even thinking about hiring someone, I usually contact my fiscal officer and my HR people and say, what do we need to do? What kind of information do I need to give you to be able to post? And so understanding what information you have to provide for them and understanding do you need the money right then or is this something that you can post in anticipation? I'm thinking about when a grant comes through or something like that. Can you post the job several months in advance or does it have to be when the money is? Are some decisions and some things that you just have to know what the policy is of your institution. And so once the job gets posted, then you have to be able to screen candidates. And so um, I actually went to a seminar series on this, and it was really, really well done. And they kind of had these different outlines of how to um, screen candidates. And so they recommended kind of setting up an Excel spreadsheet and going through every one of the different CVs or or whatever you're collecting and having them kind of check boxes and then saying, yes, these checked these minimum boxes and I'm willing to kind of pursue that. For our institution, I can only select a certain number of candidates that I'm interested in going kind of to the next step with because the next step for us is we have to do background checks and we have to do drug testing and, and all of those kind of things. And that's a, that's a large expense. And so for us, it takes a long time to be able to say, yes, this is my candidate and yes, I want to proceed. And so having documentation of who you've looked at and who you've investigated and, and why you think they would be a good fit for your program is really important for being able to figure out um, who the candidate is and, and who you really want to hire. And so I think I have started having an Excel spreadsheet with going through kind of their initial um, their initial CV or biosketch or, or um, references that they sent. And then for us to say that we're interested in them, we have to actually contact the individual and then request to have a conference call with them and then personally ask them if we can contact their references. And so like I said, every institution is probably very different. And so we document all of these things to verify that we have asked permission. And then talking with them and getting an idea of what they're interested in pursuing, kind of what their previous work is, and just kind of getting a feel of who they are as an individual and how you think they would fit in with you, but then also asking if you can contact their references. And then with the references, once again, I have kind of a standard list of questions that I ask those people to say, would you hire them again? Um, what are some of the qualities that you feel like are really good for them or what are things that you've talked to them about working on more, how do they work with with groups and that kind of stuff. And so getting a lot of sense of not only from the candidate but from those who have worked with them and around them and then going on and trying to identify that one or two um, people that you think would be the best fit for you to come in and actually go through some of the institutional screens that have to occur for you to actually hire them. Great, Megan. Thanks a lot. Uh, that was a lot of things that I hadn't really considered, so that was a very useful insight. Rachel, do you have uh, anything to add to that? 
Yeah, I had the same experience with Megan. Things do not move quickly in terms of posting an ad and navigating the hiring process with human resources. Um, so, you know, prepare ahead of time and do the best that you can. In terms of selecting a candidate, it's challenging. For a postdoc position, I've had people sort of give a job talk on their graduate work um, and listen, and then I have told them about the work that I do and then sort of challenge them, ask challenging questions to probe, did they understand, did they catch on quickly? Um, and then with some postdoc candidates, I've actually sent them away and said, you know, think about, read my papers, think about this for a week, and I'd be interested in hearing what do you think the next step should be in our lab? Where should we go from here? And see what kind of things they can come up with in terms of their scientific thinking. And then I couldn't agree more with Megan about the references. References are really key. Listen carefully. Um, I like phone references rather than written references because then there's um, an exchange and you can probe a little bit more. And then read between the lines. People like to give very positive references, um, but if you listen carefully um, and read between the lines, I think you can learn a lot. Thanks, Rachel. Um, uh, leading on from that, I, I think the next question is probably pertinent. Um, can you guys discuss some of the benefits um, with working with undergraduates, graduate students, um, and technicians? Um, Rachel, you might take that first. Thanks. So I have had fantastic experiences with undergraduates and technicians. I have found them to be very motivated, eager to learn, excited, smart, and very hardworking. Of course, you need to be very hands-on and teach things from the beginning. So it's, um, it's a time commitment, but that teaching is also really rewarding to be able to watch somebody grow. Um, the, the limitation is still that um, you're, once the technical work is mastered, um, you still need to do a little bit of the experimental design more than you would for, say, um, a postdoc or a faculty mentee. Um, but in my experience, if somebody is smart and motivated and excited about coming to work, you can teach them anything. Megan, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really important question because when it came to my startup, I had a choice of being able to either hire a postdoc or a technician, but I couldn't have both at the same time. And so I talked to a lot of people about who do I look for and who do I hire? Because I think it's hard to know if you can only do one, what would you choose to do? And so I think Rachel outlined a lot of really good points about working with technicians and undergrads because um, they are really good at being technically sound and, and you can teach them to do an experiment and, and they can kind of run with it. But you do have to do a lot more of the um, kind of intellectual design of the experiment and the planning of that. So just as Rachel had said before about how postdocs, she really expects them to be able to think on their feet and gives them a paper to look at and then ask what the next steps are. I think it's really rewarding to have a postdoc in your lab that can kind of really push your science and maybe take it in a new direction. What I found after kind of really wrestling between do I want a postdoc or do I want a technician was um, the state of where my research lab was. 
and this whole idea that if I was to get a postdoc, I wanted them to be able to have a project that they could kind of take with them and move on and, and go away. But when I was first starting my lab, what I really needed to do was generate a lot of data to be able to support my R01 application. And I needed to kind of have everybody working all together on one project. And so what I have found is that I have a lot of undergraduates and technicians and either even some clinical fellows um, that are working in my lab, and we kind of all work on the same project. For me, that was the right choice to start with um, that kind of uh, group in my lab. And now that I have my first R01, I feel like I'm finally at a point in my career where I've got kind of the trajectory of where I'm going but I need somebody new to come in and give me some new ideas of, and learn new techniques. And I think that's a benefit for having a postdoc is they come from a different environment, probably a different institution. And so kind of once you already have your research program kind of on the straight and narrow, it's nice to bring in new people that can add to it and can add to the research program, but then they can also kind of generate their own work that they could take and move on as a launching point to where their career is. Great, Megan. I appreciate that uh, perspective. One one question I have in response to that. Um, so I can. This may just be my own naive perspective. Uh, I certainly can see the advantage um, from the perspective of the the new investigator of having uh, multiple trainees working on the same project. Uh, but I was wondering, uh, from the perspective of the junior trainee, whether that has ever led to issues of either ownership of the project or authorship. Uh, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. No, that's a great question. Um, so what I typically do is we do have certain projects that they are just kind of manning. So I had an undergrad who just defended her undergraduate thesis this week, and she was doing all of our human cell line work. So yes, it was all working on our larger kind of goal project, but she was really the only person that was doing cell line and doing cell work. Whereas the fellow that I was working on, working with, he really was manning most of the animal experiments. And so my lab is very small, and we don't tend to have lots of overlap as far as um, project-wise. But I think if you have a larger lab, then that's something that would definitely um, have a problem. And so for the way that I do authorship and, and the way that we've kind of divvied out the projects was that we were kind of always working together and on each other's projects when there was a large animal harvest day, then we would all kind of pitch in. And so people would have authorship on different posters or different manuscripts that went in, but the fellow kind of owned most of the mouse work, whereas my undergraduate student really owned most of the human cell culture work. And thankfully, um, like I said, we, we don't have a large lab. I've only had two fellows and an undergrad, and so it's been a small group, and we've been able to maintain that. But I think as you grow and kind of understanding how your projects change and how the directions of your lab changes, that that's definitely something to have a conversation with when people are starting to come into the lab of understanding what mean what does authorship mean and what does um, a project mean and kind of expectations of being a good lab citizen and what your idea is of how the group dynamic should work together. And so I think those are all really important things to define right when someone's coming into the lab. And those are also questions to ask when people are being hired, maybe not so much for an undergrad that hasn't had experiences in a lab, but for a technician that may have been in multiple different labs or, or for a postdoc, that's definitely things that you want to consider
together is asking um, them what do they feel about this kind of lab setup or, or would they have problems with being able to help um, different people with different projects. Thanks, Megan, for that uh, for the response to that follow-up question. Um, uh, Rachel, I'll just ask, uh, do you have anything uh, to add uh, to that uh, previous question? Yeah, I think what Megan said makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think it will just depend on the stage of your career and how your lab looks and how you run the lab will probably evolve as you evolve in your career. So, for example, like Megan said, when you're trying to get your first R01, it really makes sense to hire technicians and everybody in the lab is working together towards one goal, which is getting you that grant. And then later, as you begin to establish yourself and build your funding, you have the luxury of having multiple projects that um, multiple postdocs and grad students can take ownership of and really drive the research behind. Great. Uh, thanks, thanks for those insights. Uh, Megan, uh, I wondered if you could uh, help us with telling us specifically uh, how, you, how you set expectations for your lab. I think this is definitely a, a big black box for people that haven't uh, done it before. Well, as I said before, I have really appreciated and um, been very fortunate to have lots of great senior mentors. And so there's someone that I'm currently working with as a collaborator, and I noticed that um, she had a lot of people in her lab that were always coming and going, and I asked her about how she set up those expectations, and she shared with me kind of a one-page sheet saying, this is what our lab is, and these are the big take-home messages. And it's a really awesome um, kind of one-page document that as soon as someone joins her lab, she has them read over, and it talks about um, expectations of, of being engaged, being responsible, being productive, but then also talks about time, what time she requires people to be in the lab. And she really re made the recommendation to me to say, make everyone be in the lab between 10 and 3. So you can either come in early or you can stay late, but you have to be there between 10 and 3 because a lot of things that happen outside of those hours, a lot of times when there's problems that have been documented in other labs, it's because people are staying really late or, or coming in really early, and she just felt like setting a time expectation was really helpful in saying that this is when everybody needs to be there and this is when um, I will be available to be able to help ask questions, and so everyone knew what that is. But she also talks about like protocol drifting, teaching responsibilities. Who's responsible for teaching a new person in the lab? Does she do all the teaching or are there other people that they can go to for questions? Talking about how projects are organized, who kind of takes the head of this, who takes the second part of it. Talking about chores, outlining whose chores are responsible to change the biohazard bags or to do different things like that. She also talks in this, in this one-page document about authorship and what it means to have authorship and what her expectation is, is for someone to contribute to a manuscript. And if they think they need authorship, then they need to fulfill these criteria. And I really, I'd never seen anything like this before, but I thought it was really an awesome way to be able to set the stage for what everybody has. And she says she does a lab meeting once a year when she, probably in the summer when there's a lot of new students coming in and they go through all of these things and she lines it all up to them and she has them sign their name saying that they were there. And so what happens is if there are any problems 
or if things come to her attention that maybe things are not going so well in the lab, she's found that most of the items are on this one-page sheet and that it's easy to just bring people's attention to say, remember we talked about this. I don't think this is being done. Do you have any questions or, or do you have any uh, opinions of, of how we can do this better? And, and she's found that it's been very helpful to have things written out to have it um, clearly labeled. And, and so this is something that I'm in the process of trying to implement and write up for my own lab, but I thought it was a really unique way of being able to really clearly define what the expectations are. Uh, Megan, thanks for, thanks for that uh, and for sharing um, the uh, sort of advice and the ex experience from your collaborator. It sounds like uh, she has uh, a lot of useful, uh, useful suggestions, and a lot of it has to do with communication up front. Uh, so, um, uh, Rachel, do you have anything to add uh, to that? Yeah, I think that is fantastic advice, and it's like you say, Dan, it's all about communication. Um, of course, the expectations will vary depending on the employee. Your expectations for a postdoc can be very different and should be very different than your expectations for a technician. But regardless, I think that the more explicit you can be, and the idea of putting it in writing is interesting, the better off you're going to be. And then I would just reiterate that setting expectations from day one or even prior to day one, prior to hiring, is best. It's really hard to make changes once routines have gotten established. When I've done this, it has worked really well, and when I haven't, I've regretted it. Uh, thank you both. That's that's fantastic advice. Um, so next question. Um, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about um, uh, how you uh, divide your time and what you should uh, focus on, because obviously, you know, early stage investigators and setting up a new lab, it's a busy time, and you're trying to you're trying to work towards new grants and new funding, generating data. You're in your office writing, you're planning experiments, and and then there's time you're going to have to spend in the lab. And um, could either of you, um, maybe Rachel first, um, talk us through a little bit about your perspective and experience with um, trying to divide up your time between the lab and your office, and um, between writing, designing, and generating data. Yeah, I think this is also something that um, evolves with time. If you move and you don't bring people with you from your previous institution, which was the case for me, then the initial months really have to be spent um, with a lot of time at the bench training new people in the techniques that you use. Um, and then depending on the composition of the lab and how independently people can work, you may or may not continue to need to spend time at the bench. One thing that I have found that works well for me is that um, it seems to work if I if there's a new technique that we need that I go into the lab and optimize it myself and then teach the lab personnel. And then as people grow, then you can back off and spend more and more of your time writing and reading. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, Megan, your perspective? Yeah, I think exactly what Rachel said. Um, to me, it kind of waxes and wanes depending on what's happening currently. If I'm in the process of trying to finalize a manuscript, if I'm in the process of trying to put a grant together, um, sometimes I want to just go in the lab and hide and not necessarily do those things. But I have found for myself, I actually needed to get out of the lab so that the people in my lab wouldn't feel like I was micromanaging all the time. And so I have found that the majority of my time now is spent in the office 
and um, writing and planning and doing meetings and that kind of stuff. And what we do is we have a lab calendar, and so I can kind of follow what everybody's doing and what experiments are coming down. And so on days that there are very busy mouse experiments or there's specific experiments that they have questioned for, they put it on my calendar. And so that way I know to block off that time to go. And it, it seems to be a nice kind of mix of having some time in the lab because I'll be honest, I I really I went in this career because I really like to be on the bench and I like to do those experiments. But also I I hired these people, I trust them and I want them to be able to feel like they can do their job without me standing around. Dr. Ballinger, Dr. Siemens, thank you for your insight thus far. This concludes part two of this podcast. Listen to part three of this podcast series for our discussions insight into preparation and organization strategies, logistics, and the online presence of a laboratory.